ProPoints is now sponsored by Legion Supplies. For officially licensed MTG apparel like t-shirts, hoodies, hats or accessories, pins, patches, messenger bags, mouse pads, coasters, ornaments, posters, notebooks, and more, check out mtgproshop.com. For all your MTG sleeves, deck box, binders, playmats, dice, and storage needs, head to legionsupplies.com. Welcome to the Pro Points Podcast. I'm Mike Seegers. I'm here with Sam Black. And this week we have a special guest. Uh, the same special guest as last time, Andrew mm-hmm. Cuneo. How's it going, Andrew? Good. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Anytime. Um, so uh, I know if you've been following Sam a lot, he's been doing a lot of li- uh, limited content. Um, so we're actually going to go a little deeper in limited content this week. We're going to talk about uh, Theros Beyond Death uh, mostly booster draft, I guess, but limited in general, and the, the specifically the rares. Um, we had a list of rares that we thought were interesting of interesting to talk about, and um, Sam has that list. So let's jump right into it. Sam, um, let's give us one of the cards on the list. Well, to start us off with a little bit of structure, I know that uh, you thought <laughs> that it was worth talking about all of the gods uh, in limited. Yes, since, um, they're you know. It, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I don't need to justify myself to you. We're going to talk about the gods. <laughs> All right. So uh, kicking things off, I guess, uh, with um, let's do Helios real quick. Uh, Heliod? Heliod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Me the other day. All right. Um, yeah. So uh, Heliod the Suncrowned is uh, two and a white for a legendary enchantment creature god. It is a 5-5 five, five indestructible. But if your devotion is uh, to white is less than five, it isn't a creature. Whenever you gain life, you can put a 1-1 counter on target creature or enchantment you control. And it has one and a white. Another target creature gains lifelink until end of turn. You're probably familiar with this card. Um, (laughs) So uh, Heliod is uh, maybe the best god. And uh, one of the, I think, you know, upper tier rare mythics in the set, uh, just because the combination of its static and activated abilities are so strong. Um, it both allows you to win races and grow your creatures. It's also a good aggressive body that you can realistically turn on in a white aggro deck. Uh, do either of you have any nuance to add to this take? Uh, so I've only had one experience with Heliod in my deck, um, and I tried to play it basically in a deck that was splashing white, it was very unreliable to turn on to see if it was good. Um, it wasn't quite good enough in that deck. That deck was, it was kind of like a blue-white deck. It didn't have uh, very many big creatures. I would think that it might be better in a deck, like a green-white deck that has big creatures where the, where the lifelink you gain is actually relevant. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I, I do believe that if you like open this, you should take it and you know tr- try to slant towards a more um white leaning deck just because of how powerful it is but it's not the kind of card like you should be splashing just for its uh static effect and stuff like that <clears throat> i don't know if andrew's had any more experiences with the card uh, honestly my only experiences with it have been rare drafting it on magic online to sell <laughs> people who wanted to play <laughs> okay yeah i think basically everything you said sam is true um 
I think it. I, I would note that. Um, so I played against uh, it once when my opponent had multiple sentinels' eyes as a remark as a frustratingly sticky source of devotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they were able to like turn it on and it acted out a lot of green creatures by just like making sure that their sentinels' eyes were always in play. Um, so not a big deal, but um, a small synergy to look for there. It's yeah, it's nice with like um, the fact that dreadful apathy you can just leave it in play. Uh, you have a removal spell that adds devotion, and also just Heliod's Pilgrim to find that. That's you know, if you have the Heliod, you have a Heliod's Pilgrim. You're basically guaranteed three pips right off the start. <clears throat> um, so it's in ways easier to turn on the others. There's also stuff like Nyx Porn Courser. Um, I believe that's the name of it, the 2-4. Uh, yeah, and, and the 3-3 the, uh, Flyer. The Chimera, yeah, Daybreak yeah, Chimera, the, I believe it's called. There's a good amount of, like, double white uh, playable cards at common. So, yeah. Um, yeah, relatively easy to turn on, very, very powerful card. Um, moving on to uh, Thassa, uh, Deep Dwelling. Uh, this is 3 and a blue for a Legendary Enchantment Creature God, 6-5 Indestructible. Uh, as long as your devotion is less than five, it's not a creature. Um, and at the beginning of your end step, you can uh, flicker one of your creatures. Um, and it has uh, four mana, tap another target creature. Um, I've had this one a couple you, times. I, I think it's I really good. I, I agree with with Andrew. In fact, uh, I was watching you stream at some point, Andrew, uh, and you... I, I only for about five minutes, and all I heard you talk about was how good that was in that five minutes. Uh, which later I opened it, and I had a I was I had a black green deck with a couple of ways to um, a couple of cards to abuse with it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try it. I had like the two three um, that mills you for two, and you can take a permanent. I had one of the Cado. <laughs> Cattle bleepus. Poles. Yeah. <laughs> bleepus. Um, and I had a couple of constellation cards. So I took it, then immediately got past Artemis. Is that the name of it? The 3 2. Uh, and I just ended up with a gross deck that almost every creature I I had uh would do something when I blinked it. Um so I splashed Thassa in this case, and it was actively great. Um, just because of that. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen but one of the good things about thassa 2 is all of the enchantment based removal in this in this set uh itchy itchy morphos is what i call it (laughs) okay so itchy morphos basically uh uh, dreadful apathy (laughs) Uh, all that kind of stuff you can just um make that stuff follow oh and the uh, i guess it doesn't work against one with the stars though but um yeah you can just flicker your creatures turn them back on and the the tap a creature ability in the late game is pretty powerful so uh i've had great experiences with this uh even just splashing it so i I imagine when you're a a heavy blue actually blue yeah it's got to be quite good um is there any like commons or uncommons you're thinking of andrew that like is the flicker ability what you're interested in or just the well, the whole package is good, but I do. If you're drafting, you do have to go out of your way, I think, to find things that are going to take advantage of the flicker ability. And yeah. it 
I don't think there's very much in blue that actually does that. Yeah, so, that was one of the things I was struggling with at first. Elite Instructor was like the best thing I could see, the, the looter. Which well, is at Uncommon, exactly there's the guy that makes a reflection, which is one of the best things you can do with it. Yes, that is that is one of the best things, which I, I did have once. I had that that combination once in, in one of my fast decks. I've had that fast at three times in like... Um, so what are drafts. what colors are you looking to go when you have Thassa to maximally take advantage of it? I think black has the best or the most comes into play what well, the catapult the whatever it is is like one of the best things to do with it uh there's also gray merchant in common um i've lost those. so i th- uh you can also deck yourself pretty well with the three three that mills you for three yeah if that's something you're interested in if you have the oracle <laughs> uh or if you just have you know Escape cards. How interested but, are you in pairing it with red to um, take their stuff and then blink it and keep it forever? Didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> so, you can do it with Portent of Betrayal. I think yeah. that's not generally going to work all that well because I think to put a bunch of Portent of Betrayals in your deck, you want <laughs> more than just the one Vasa, and blue red's not going to give you access not, to yeah. none of that stuff. Well, there's the the four I five mean, that yeah right. There's the, the four mana, five that lets you sack it, and then there's the, the uh, three mana removal spell that you know if you have seven mana you can kill two of their things. Yeah, like, like a, yeah. Go ahead. I I think that that could that could happen, but I think that it's it's going to require a very specific set of things to happen in the draft. So I I I think that's yeah. one of the least likely ways to make Dasa good if you open it. Yeah. All right. So what are you looking to like if if not black, then what? I think constellation stuff, right? Yeah, I was gonna say blue green for the constellation stuff. Yeah. And, and also sure. just if like, like uh giving the big green creatures vigilance effectively is pretty good. Oh sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Also, just like the tap ability is much better when your creatures have more power. Yeah. <clears throat> or something like the you know. I guess in blue white you could theoretically like get all of your stuff with the Heliod's Pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you could you could get the, Like if you're if you're deep on number of auras, that could be good. Yes, absolutely. Like in blue white specifically Starlet Mantle is the like the best aura to be finding with Heliod's Pilgrim anyway, so that gives you a pip as well. <clears throat> and you can just Find all of the fish pants your heart desires. <laughs> fish pants? Is that what you... you yeah. Okay. I'll go and stick with itchy morphos myself. But <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, Thassa confirmed. Great. Yeah. Next one. All right. Uh, Erebos. Um, Erebos. Uh, Bleak hearted is three and a black for a five, six indestructible uh, legendary enchantment creature god. As long as your division is less than five, it's not a creature. And whenever another creature you control dies, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. And for one and a black, you can sacrifice another creature to give target creature uh, minus two, minus one until end of turn. So uh, I've had it once, but it was in a more controlling black deck that was very difficult to turn it on. It seems like it should be one of the easiest ones to turn on. Um, there's a lot of double double black cards essentially uh between the cato 
<laughs> the Cataplepis and uh, stuff like there's a lot of uncommons. Timoret, Grey Merchant. Um, there's also the four three enchantment creature if you're really looking. Oh yes, um, the Nyxborn Minotaur. Yep, that's yep. An, an easy source of pips. Uh, but I, I think the way it plays out is it's not necessarily that easy to turn on. The, the black creatures basically just don't. They don't have a lot of toughness, and so like you end up having to trade stuff off, and you want to with Eros because you can gain two, or uh, you can lose two, draw a card, get ahead in cards. Uh, the ability of sack a creature um didn't like i said my deck was more controlling i didn't have a lot of creatures so that was a huge problem with it so my one experience with it was bad but i kind of think it should be a good card uh and maybe you'd want to be black red so that the sacrifice ability is more relevant that's where you can get take advantage of something like portent like you said um but i don't know has anyone else played with it i've only played against it i i think this is great i think it's one of the better gods and I actually kind of disagree with one of the things you said, Mike. I, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure with the gods it's necessarily good to turn them into creatures in a lot of games of limited. Because the, like, Heliod you, maybe is a, is a little bit different, but with Thassa and with Erebos and also Nylea, which we haven't gotten to, if you get mm -hmm. to a point in the game where you're kind of somewhat ahead and you have enough mana to really take advantage of all the abilities on your god, one of the only ways you can lose frequently is you turn it into a creature and it gets exiled by Final Death or Dreadful Apathy. Sure, yeah. The way the rules work with Ichimorphosis is... Ichi doesn't... It doesn't... Ichi still... It stays in play, right? It, like, eventually, it, the Ichimorphosis falls off once you lose... Yeah, yeah, once you devotion. lose devotion. Yeah. But I, I think this, uh, Erebos in particular, as long as you have like a bunch of creatures in your deck, especially the Discordant Piper, the 2-1 that makes a goat when it dies, yeah, yeah. it's that, really that powerful. That make it a lot better. Are you very concerned with having ability, the ability to gain life in your deck, or are we happy to just like go down and like assume that the cards we draw off of it will be enough? It's uh, always nice to have that anyways, but... Um... The uh, th there's Does like this the increase the likelihood that you'll play aspect of lamprey. No, not me. Maybe a little, a, but it's not, yeah, it, it's not a, a not noticeable. Yeah, sure. I lost today to somebody who had Erebos and Shadow Spear in play, and that combination was <laughs> extremely hard to beat. Yeah, yeah that yes. sounds pretty unbeatable. <laughs> yeah, um. I haven't had yeah, my, yet. My experience facing Erebos has been extremely negative. Okay. Uh, like, I was just, I mean, my opponent, uh, I played against it when I was just like a white-black control deck with a bunch of removal, and my opponent played it when they were at 20 with two creatures in play or something, and I just conceded on the spot, basically. Yeah, uh, I think the lamp, the, what is it, the lamp pad and stuff, that's, a, that's enough life gain to... Uh, not really worry about that anyways just having a little bit of extra and that's just a common sure. you get or like there's that uncommon um gray merchant no right. no well obviously timor uh well timoret gray merchant those are good too but even just like the ones that you pick up late um pretty often the one that exiles a card cling to oh you can use it on a creature to gain three life yes sure. yeah. yeah something like that I, I might be more likely to put a card like that in my deck um because of this not that i think that card's bad i think that's 
kind of a decent cycling card that has a lot of utility, but that's a, yeah. a different discussion. Sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think Erebus is good. I started a draft with it, and like I said, I couldn't get... I, I, it's probably what ended up happening was I was just getting caught, and I, early on in, in when I'm drafting a format um, and trying to learn it, and I open a rare that I want to explore, I am going to just lock in on it and kind of force it, just force myself to play with it so I learn more about that card. My win rate won't be as high, but I'm, I'm going to try to learn, you know, if a card is good, when it's good, and stuff like that. And like with Mythic Rares, you just don't get that much experience with them. So uh, this is one of those cases where like I played with it. It wasn't that good, but um, it certainly feels like it should be very good. Sure. How do we feel about splashing Erebus? I don't think I like it. You'd have to really, really be able to take advantage of the uh, gain, the, the draw card thing and really want the the minus two minus one ability. So like, I don't think it's something I would necessarily start. So you, you disagree with Andrew. You think that like being able to turn Erebus on is fairly important. No, it's not that I don't, I, I think necessarily turning it on. It's more that I don't want to splash something like this in, um, without like the consistent mana because the, the, the effect is good early, right? Like obviously okay. in a really long game, but like this is a do nothing permanent when you cast it. You have to untap with it and, and kind of do something, or you have to be getting into combat a lot uh, to trade your creatures to gain advantage of drawing the extra cards. It's something that you kind of want to play early, I think. Sure. <clears throat> what do you think, Andrew? Uh, I mostly agree with what Mike said. I, I will say that in general and limited, I really hate splashing. This format, I've been trying to push myself to splash a little bit more because I think sometimes you get if you wind up with just a straight two-color deck and your cards are all commons and uncommons, your deck is frequently not powerful enough. Yep. So I would be more open to splashing in this format in particular. So I'd consider splashing this card. I think the big issue with it is it's a card that a lot of the times, the turn you play it, you're going to want access to black mana to sack a creature. Yeah. So it, while it's not technically double oh, so you like to play black, it for six mana and activate it immediately, you're saying? Yeah. Like not being able to cast it and activate it in one turn when you have six mana would be a pretty big drawback to the card. Yeah. All right. So uh, moving on to Perforous Bronze Blooded. This is uh, four and a red for a seven six indestructible. As long as your devotion to red is less than five, it isn't a creature. Other creatures you control have haste. And for three mana, you can put a red creature card or an artifact creature card from your hand onto the battlefield and sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Yeah, uh, so this to me, I think is the worst god. Um, I think you would specifically be wanting to put this in your deck for the devotion. Like if you can turn it on, it's, it's going to be a card you want to play, but it's certainly not a card I'm going to first pick over a good common or anything like that and uh, or, or uncommon. Uh, and like the static ability isn't that good. Like a card that costs five mana that gives you the rest of your creature's haste is not that good. The ability to put a creature into play can be good because you can kind of ambush people in combat, but that's not really what I want to do with my red decks. I kind of just want to be, you know, beating down or whatever. Um, so this card just doesn't look very good to me, but uh, I've never played with or against it, so I could be completely off. Oh, I've had the pleasure of playing against it a few times. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and you mean literally a pleasure. 
Oh yeah, it like I think it did like two damage to me or something over the course of the game by giving a creature that wanted to attack haste. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just going to be a do nothing too too often unless you know you're some very unique mono red deck that can turn it on a lot. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, I think that you need to be incredibly red pip rich to play this thing, um, and I would generally advise against it. I, I basically agree with everything that was said. That I, I think this card is really bad. Even if you are a deck that's like half red cards, you probably still shouldn't put it in your deck. Yeah, I think you'd need to be nearing on mono red. And even then, there's not that many, uh, If off the top of my head, uh, like intensive red uh, it, Yeah, that's cards, one right? of the problems with it is that... Yeah getting cards that have two red pips on them is pretty hard. I think it common. The only one is the seven, three. Yeah. Right. Which, which has the problem of costing the same amount of mana as yeah. Perforos. Yeah. But it is yes. a nice one to have haste the next turn. <laughs> yes. But it's also, I mean, I suppose the curve of Perforos into that activating Perforos attack with like the rest of your stuff and two, seven power creatures is nice, but <laughs> you're also putting a bunch of like pretty weak cards in your deck. Yeah. One really fun interaction with this card is you can use it to be able to block with the Flummox Cyclops because the way that guy works, it's a trigger. So after they after they attack, you know, the time for the trigger to go on the stack is passed. So you can you can flash in the or sneak attack in the Flummox Cyclops and then it can just block like a normal reach guy. You can you can put the familiar into play, the Thaumaturge familiar. Have you done that yet, Andrew? Wait, is that the just the one three scry guy? <laughs> yeah, that also costs three mana. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. You just want to get your ETB value or something. <laughs> I, all right. All right. Uh, moving on to Nylea Keen Eyed. Uh, this is three and a green for a legendary enchantment creature god. Five, six, indestructible. Uh, if you don't have five devotion, it's not a creature. Creature spells you cast cost one less to cast. And you can spend three and a green to reveal uh, the top card of your library. If it is, if it's a creature, put it in your hand. Otherwise, you may put it into your graveyard. Um, I have seen this on the battlefield exactly once, and it was another situation where my draw was all removal, and so I got crushed by the card advantage offered by the god. Yeah, that's uh, that. It's it's one of those cards that's pretty good in a slower uh, a slower green deck, something like a black green um, deck that can slow things down and it can take over that way. It's also relatively easy to turn on compared to the other gods, uh, just because of like you can have the the six seven Nixborn Colossus, I believe it is. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it does have the like kind of do nothing problem initially. I think it's a good card uh, in, in your heavy green decks. I think this is one of the ones that I would certainly want to be able to turn on at some point to at least pressure my opponent. But it it, it is a decent source of card advantage. It's just very slow. So it's going to you know be deck dependent. But I think a lot of the green decks can kind of slow things down in this format with the escape mechanic. <clears throat> you can play a, a longer grindier game. You have um, some removal in green. Uh, the fact that return to nature or whatever is a common that can kill some stuff. Um, and you have the war briar blessing, war briar blessing. Um, and there's like, if you want to play a slow game, you can just play like Nick's warden. I believe it is the one, four reach that 
Constellation gain two life. There's ways to make your your design your green deck so that you can play a slower game, and this is kind of going to be good in that. Um, or it'll be good in the, the the faster green decks as long as you have a lot of pips and you can turn it sideways sometimes. But it is going to be very good against the the decks like uh, you described, Sam, that are all removal. Yeah. So given that if you have any green card in play, and then you play this, the following turn for five mana you can play the Colossus and turn on Nylia. Uh, how much does this increase the amount that you want to put the Colossus in your deck if you have an Ilya? I think if I have access to one, I would almost always, if I have an Ilya, I would almost always want to play uh, one. I don't know how much farther I want to take than that. Big, goofy ground creatures are... The problem with those in this format is there's this escape, escape, right? Like the Typhon, is it called? The Voracious Typhon? That is just something you can do at seven mana. Um, And four mana so uh putting expensive cards in your deck when you can just be escaping on those turns is kind of a an opportunity costs so i really don't like to necessarily play a bunch of green big green things because of that uh because generally my good good green decks will have escape Mm -hmm. but if i have access to this i'll definitely want to play one colossus to be able to turn it on although you know if i have three typhons and a lot of ways to get stuff in my graveyard i probably won't but that's you know uh not very common so sure i think i'd always look to have one at least pick one up in the draft if i have a nylia um just because i don't think nixborn Colossus is also that bad it's not great but it's decent filler as opposed to you know the minotaur or whatever we were discussing before the seven three which just trades with you know some two drops as opposed to this which is much more difficult to to beat in combat yeah <clears throat> Uh, Andrew, you have anything to say about Nylea? No, not really. Pretty much everything was covered. Okay, sounds good. So that was, was that all the good? Yeah, it was. That was all. No, uh, we have not talked about Clothis. Oh, the of Destiny. The, is that so, the red green one? Yes. Okay, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Clothis, God of Destiny, is one red green for a four or five indestructible. As long as your devotion to red and green is less than seven, Clothis isn't a creature. And at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a land, add red or green. Otherwise, you gain two life and Clothis deals two damage to each opponent. Never had it, never seen it, never played against it. I think if you're red and green, you want to play it. I think uh, graveyard... um, Exile in the graveyard is like a good upside. Uh, keeping people off escape, not only just getting rid of the creatures, maybe you just want to deal them damage, but just keeping their graveyard size small is pretty relevant. And the fact that this is a, a source of damage and life gain is good enough that I think you're, you're definitely going to want to play this in a red-green deck and probably take it pretty highly if you are specifically red-green. As far as splashing it, um, I don't know if the effect is good enough. My guess is that if you have a slow deck that needs win conditions, you want this card uh, on the splash. Like, I mean, like extremely, like maybe bl- blue-green constellation, lots of control cards, nothing to nothing to actually close the game. Then this is the kind. This is a card you might want. Um, you could maybe even occasionally turn it on, but uh, I don't really I would know. First, pick this card and splash it in almost any green deck. Okay. Like, um that like draining two is really really, really big yeah and i think that like 
it, it just like demolishing your opponent's ability to use their graveyard is like you know outstanding against a lot of decks. Um, it is sorcery speed. Like, like I said, I haven't played with it, so I don't know the play patterns. But like they can trade their creature and then escape it back or whatever before. It I gets mean, back. if they have a graveyard built up, but if you play this thing on turn three, that's yeah, just never happened. That, that's what I'm saying. Red green specifically, I think that uh, you can you can actually control their graveyard more. Whereas if you're splashing it, you're going to end up playing. Oh, sure. If game. it's coming in late, yeah, yeah. Then that, that you you don't necessarily get the ability to keep them off escape. Right, but the fact that green is like so good at splashing in this format means that yeah. like you know you can pr- probably make it work. Um, Andrew, where are you on this? Well, I, you didn't even mention Sam that I, you have actually played this card against me. All right, <laughs> I, I have a ton of experience um, with this guy. Yeah, in one of our so you, uh, the early practice drafts, Sam played it against me and then ran out of stuff to eat and lost. <laughs> that did happen. Um, I, I think I, I'm kind of with Sim. I think this is an extremely good card, and it is worth splashing. Okay. I will say that the Drain 2 ability, I at least... It hasn't been as good in practice as I was expecting, because it isn't always on. Like, it, it's... The graveyard ability, you mean? Y- yes. Yeah. Like sometimes it's not on, and also I've had the experience where I've had it in play against people who I knew their deck couldn't remove it, so I knew I was just going to drain two from them every turn for the rest of the game, and people have managed to overpower that at times. Like it, they need something yeah, I mean, special it, like, going uh, on, but it, it it is possible to go over the top of this card. So yeah, it, it's, it's I mean it's certainly like a, it's three a very good card. card like, but I'm not it's, expecting. I don't it to think just it's like, like a, a top tier. Of the rares kind of card. Sure, I, I agree with that, and I mean, like, I certainly don't think that you know you should generally expect like a three mana card that's extremely hard to remove to like win a game by itself. Like, you do need other stuff going on. Um, but I think that it's you know very low cost, and you're very likely to have other stuff going on, and it's just a lot like very high impact for a three mana. Uh, one other story about this card in game three of the finals of the team series, I was playing against Greg Kowalski or Gregorsh. That's probably not how you say his name. Um, no, that that's that's that is how he prefers to be called. So <laughs> he, he prefers people call him Greg than completely butcher trying to say his name. So and Kowalski is his last name. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I mulliganed. I wound up just having to discard to hand size, and he had Clothis, and it was extremely good against someone who's just had to discard to Clothis <laughs> hand size because it couldn't cast anything. He beat me very soundly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that uh, wraps up the gods. Um, so now we're going to move on to. Uh, other rares chosen not at random, even if it may seem that way, but instead chosen for things that we think are more interesting or difficult to evaluate. Um, we're not going to, you know, go over cards like uh, Kiora Best's the Sea God that are clearly unbeatable. Um, we're instead going to focus on rares where we believe that some people have differences of opinion about how good they are or might not be sure when or if they should use them and stuff like that. So we're going to kick off with one of the cards that I've seen the greatest uh, variation in opinion about, uh, Allure of the Unknown. This is 
three black red sorcery, reveal the top six cards of your library, an opponent exiles a non-land card from among them. Uh, then you put the rest into your hand. That opponent may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. It's, I think this card is terrible. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you should... I, my, I would never put it in my deck to start. My, yeah, that was my, been my problem, is I've tried to tempt myself into putting it in my deck, and then I always just realize I have too many good cards in my deck to let my opponent cast one for free. Um, Great, we disagree wildly. I think yeah. this card's awesome. Okay, yeah, no, that's it's one of those cards. It is netting you three cards, right, in total? Uh... It depends on, I mean, so it's six cards and they get one of them. So you get five cards and they get one. Yeah, and you lose one for this. So it nets you four cards. No, right. Or they get one. So it's six minus two. Yeah, okay. All right. Um. So yeah. But all of the cards are yours. So if they trade off, they all end up in your graveyard, which is fairly important. Okay, so you're saying in a deck. It plays well with escape. Yeah, you're saying in a in a in a, in a red in a red black deck. Yeah. Okay. All right. I could I could see trying that. Um. So in my experience, um, and the way that I draft red black, uh, I think of red black is extremely like maximally attrition based. Um. I think more so than red black in other formats. Uh. In th this uh, format's red black deck is about trading and like running both players out of resources more than it's about like trying to be fast. And then like, because so I think that the escape creatures are format defining in general, and especially in red black. And the fact that your escape creatures are both only good if they can profitably attack, uh, means that you really want to prioritize removal to push those creatures through and force your opponent to deal with them several times. And the removal then fills your graveyard so you can keep escaping them. So the way that I prefer to draft my red-black decks is to make sure that I have some of those aggressive escape creatures and then as much removal as possible and then round it out with whatever. And anytime you're successfully executing that game plan where you're just trading off a bunch of cards, um, you're like basically attrition is kind of strategically opposite uh, tempo. Yeah. Where the the more you're trading off, the less tempo as a concept matters. Bounce spells yeah, are horrible absolutely. against a deck full of removal. Yeah. And so the more you're invalidating the fact that your opponent gets this like mana advantage from being able to cast one of your spells for free, the more you're removing the first drawback here. Also, if your deck is full of like cards that just trade one for one, like removal spells, then you cast this and your opponent takes either the best creature or the best removal spell and you get the other one, and those cards trade off, and then you're just up all the other cards. Um, also, a lot of times, uh, the best cards in my deck in red-black are just escape creatures, and giving one to my opponent doesn't really matter, uh, because like casting the front side of it is just not impressive. And so like I've had, you know, I was in a team draft where someone was building their red-black deck, and they were like, well, I'm kind of afraid of casting this because my opponent will get my best card. And it's like, well, your best card is Croxa. Like, yeah. that, that your opponent just can't even take it. I mean, they can take it and not cast it if they just want to exile it so they don't have to deal with it. But otherwise, hitting it off this thing is always going to be awesome because you're going to have, like, a full graveyard and you're just going to win the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I really love everything that this card is doing. 
because of the nature of red black in this format specifically? Yeah, a lot of that makes sense. I think if you have, it is very good if what they're going to do is take a removal spell or an escape creature with this. The problem I have with it is like, um, if you fall, the red black creatures are pretty bad and they're bad at blocking. If you're behind, you can't really ever cast this card to catch up. So this is going to be good as long as you're executing your game plan, but it's not going to be the kind of card that's going to catch you up from behind and it's going to punish you when you are behind. That's my biggest problem with it. You take a turn off, you spend five mana to let them cast a free spell, um, which is what's always scared me about the card. And But it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, the, uh, the, the fact that if you're just able to manage the battlefield and make it so the tempo doesn't matter, which Red Black should be good at, um, then this card would be good. I haven't had a lot of Red Black decks like that. I've had... So I posted a deck on Twitter the other day, which was just like red black sacrifice like kind of how people envision drafting red black sacrifice which almost never comes together because like portent of betrayal is an awful card if you don't have a sack outlet and you don't have a lot of pot like there's just so many game states where portent of betrayal is a terrible card but if you just have you know 10 sacrifice outlets or whatever it gets a lot better it's still expensive but it gets a lot better um and i've had just i haven't had decks that have had as much removal as you're describing uh, because people take it fairly highly. And also, you need a lot of creatures in your red-black decks in this format, both because of the sacrifice synergies, like this, a lot of the, the that are like the red-black uncommon, um, Slaughter, Priest of Mogus, or whatever. But also because Iroros' Blessing is one of the, you know, staple good removal cards, you just need to have creatures to attach that to. So the way the games have played out for me haven't quite been as... They have just haven't been like all out attrition wars or whatever i do think that i have noticed that escape creatures are exceptionally good in red block because you are trading resources um a fair amount of the time but just not always so i'm just skeptical of having this card in my deck that i'm not going to cast all the time um when i can and it kind of being the only thing i could do or, or whatever <clears throat> i don't know if that makes sure. sense but uh that is kind of i i, I had it, i haven't had it once with red black i got it like last pick I didn't take the first time around, took some good removal spell or whatever. And I was just like, should I put this in my deck? And I, I really wanted to, and then was just afraid to. And maybe sure. I should. Well, that is like my one of my own personal problems that I need to stop like just trusting myself and being like, I think this card's bad. I'm not going to play with it. I should try to learn more about cards that I think are bad. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly going to try it now that you recommend it. Andrew, have I moved you at all on this? Or not, well, just... not really. I mean, I have put it in my deck to try it, and I've drawn it and realized that I just couldn't cast it because I was too far behind and it would just kill me. Yeah. I also, there's and another that... scenario where you draw it and you don't want to cast it, which is when you're a little bit ahead. Because it, it does, it, it has a very volatile effect on the game. In that, you know... Sure, I mean... I I guess, like, I haven't had, I mean, like, are there commons, or like, what common or uncommon are you afraid of giving your opponent? Like, is this just, well, they might get a random 5-4 or whatever, and I'll get five lands? Like, yeah, like, it, in this, it, say, say the top of your deck is four lands, two spells. This card can wind up going right. pretty badly for you, I mean. Honestly, if the top of your deck was four lands, two spells, maybe you were going to lose the game if it lasted six turns anyway. Mm -hmm. But you you can get splits where it just 
even though you're getting most of the cards, it still favors your opponent. I also don't like the assumption that the quality of the cards in your deck is all going to be kind of flat, because I think this is just a terrible format to have your deck turn out like that. Yeah. So, like, I get uh, that that happens sometimes in red-black, but I would well, not... Well, I'm saying more that in red-black specifically, I don't think that the good cards... Like, I think the best cards are, like, the escape cards. I think that, um, well, you know, you can have a deck that has... They're the best cards like, in your deck, but not necessarily for your opponent to cast off this thing or whatever. Right. Those are the best cards at common and uncommon, but I'm certainly hoping to have a, a good rare in my deck. And, like, you're right that if sure. it's Cruxa, Cruxa works well with this card, but, like, if you have a Nightmare Shepherd in your deck, yeah. I would be kind of afraid right. to ever cast a Lore of the Unknown if the game was at all close. Sure. And, like, I, I'm hoping to have cards like that. So my, my point is, like, obviously everyone's hoping to have cards like that. My point is more, I'm not going to pick this card highly at all, you know, through the first two packs of the draft, because I'm, I'm hoping that it's a card that I just don't want in my deck. Okay. And I would tend, like, the scenario you're describing, I could see where the card would work, but I would probably prefer to just have it in my sideboard and only board it in when I know that my attrition deck is going to get paired against another deck where it's actually going to come down to attrition. Like sure. a lot of times the red black deck, you can't even create that scenario because your opponent is just doing something that overpowers it. So it's, I, I, I think the card's too narrow to really pick highly. And I, I'd prefer yeah. to never have it in my deck to start. Okay. Uh, I don't think that you need to pick it highly because I do think that you can usually get it late. Um, like I think that I would often just try to wheel this if I am red black because maybe no one else is red black or maybe the other red black player at the table doesn't value the card. Um, yeah. But uh, I definitely think that it's fairly easy to have a red black deck that you should definitely main deck it, especially if your best cards happen to end up being escape cards. It's certainly worth considering as a cyborg card. I do agree with that. Like, and the red black mirrors are, uh, that, that is where the games play out as you've described, like what you described, Sam, they seem very attrition -y to me. And that's when the, um, uh, escape cards end up being like all stars, like underworld champion or whatever it is, is incredibly good in the red black mirrors because the, the matchups just, small creatures trading or removal killing small creatures and whatever's left over ends up winning. And this is the kind of card that maybe I'd want in that kind of matchup. Um, you mean charger? Charger. Sure. Did I say, okay. I said champion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Still learning the name. It's just taking me a while to figure out card. Yeah, yeah. What, what, one other thing about this card in the deck where you just have a lot of escape creatures. Frequently, if my deck is filled with a, a bunch of escape creatures, I don't feel like I'm hurting for things to do with my mana. Once we get yeah. to, you know, the later turns of the game. And this is a card that it's basically, you're going to invest a whole turn, turn five or whatever, right. for getting more stuff to do with your mana on a, a, another subsequent turn. Like, it's kind of overkill to have this in your deck if you actually have a bunch of escape things and you're enabling the escaping. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about it more if you have some escape and a lot of removal. Okay. It's, um, it sounds like we're basically on. This is a, a very, very narrow card that 
Yeah. Maybe sure. there's a time and a place for it, or I, I, I still, still might say there might not even be one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, most of the red black decks that I've seen have wanted it. Um, I, like, I, I've done a bunch of team drafts and I've always advised my teammates to put it in their red black decks. Um, but uh, I, th- I think we've, we're ready to move on yeah. to um, another card. Let's, uh, let's go to Enigmatic Incarnation. Um, this is two blue-green enchantment at the beginning of your end step. If, uh, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrificed enchantment's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So I have yet to, I played against it once, but like my opponent died the turn after they cast it. <clears throat> I have, <clears throat> sorry. I had some aggressive deck and they were just basically dead on board regardless of what they did the turn they cast it. So I haven't gotten to fully experience um, any games with this card in play uh, for a long period of time. It seems like it's a kind of card that can definitely have uh can definitely be good. For instance, I could see it being good sacking Satessin training or whatever, finding um, the blue green gold uncommon Euro. Euro? Yep. Is that what it's called? No, not Euro. That's the Eutropia. Eutropia. Uh, stuff like that. Um, getting that into play and having stuff like that. I, it's not the kind of card that I'm going to like pick early and try to draft around. Um, it's going to have to kind of fall into my lap in a blue green deck. I don't. It hasn't wheeled for me or anything pack one, which is what I would like. That's kind of like I'm already blue green. I see or I've seen this thing. I opened it. I took something else, a good green and common or something. I, en- I end up in green blue. This thing comes around. Then maybe I'll start uh, focusing more on taking some enchantments to try to weave weave the pieces together. I don't know if you guys um, feel differently about it or if you've had experiences with it, positive, negative. What do you think, Andrew? I, I've had good experiences with this card. I, I had a sealed deck where it was a really strong, it, it was a, a strong sealed deck, and this was a pretty strong card in it because I had Satessin Champion and Nadir Kraken, and I had a bunch of two mana cantrip enchantments so that I could just turn my cantrip enchantments into my, my best cards yeah. with it. And I think that that's the way that you want to construct a deck if you're going to have Enigmatic Incarnation. I've seen people kind of fall into this mindset that they were trying to draft their deck so it'd be like they got a birthing pot in cube where they were trying to create like a long chain of things where you'd always yeah. be able to keep going up. And I think that that's just too hard to get to work. You, you want to, if you have this card, you want to focus on, I've got Omen of the Sea, I've got Satessin Training, maybe Omen of the Hunt, and I've got, you know, good stuff at three mana and four mana. Yeah. Maybe if if that like makes a lot of sense. specifically yeah. it, have like a really good five mana card, you'd be more likely to put a four mana enchantment creature in your deck to allow you to go find the five mana card. But you shouldn't view it like birthing pod where you're going to try to climb from like a three drop up to a seven drop over the course of several turns because that just doesn't work. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, my best experiences with this have been turning Witness of Tomorrow's into Dream Trawler. Um, which, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting Dream Trawler in place is, is quite nice. 
Yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, not to interrupt entirely, but when you have really good broken, uh, generally rare creatures, this thing gets much better and much more appealing. And that's yes. when that's when you want to look at it. It's not the kind of card you want to start a start a draft with. Counterpoint. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> you do want to, you, you do want to start a draft with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll first pick this. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I love a good build around. Like I'm I'm happy to get a chance to jump through a bunch of hoops to make my cards playable. I mean, I am too. But the problem is, I think this card requires you to have other powerful cards and when you're using your first pick on the incarnation that's one of the chances you have to have one of those so you have two more packs um <clears throat> you're not going to get past broken wrist pack I'm one right less like i mean i think that it's obviously a lot better if you have rares to get with it but i think that like the primary thing that determines the quality of this is just how many um you know omens and uh like etb enchantments you end up with um just turning and your your permanence into actual creatures. Yeah, just like yeah, just getting, you know, if every turn this is turning a card that, you know, wasn't doing anything for you into a three or four mana creature. Um like I don't need to get very many three or four mana creatures with my four mana shard. Sure. And like it's not you have to take a turn off or anything. Like you play this, like if you play a font into this thing, you immediately turn your or not a font. If you play an omen of like a green omen, yeah. omen of the hunt. Uh, if you play Omen of the Hunt and then this, and you sack your Omen of the Hunt and get a four drop, uh, like it's the same thing as if you played a four drop. Um, well, not because you you took a turn off to play the. <laughs> right, right, I'm saying from the point where you've played the Omen. <clears throat> yes. Um, and um, I I agree that you know with that one in particular you're taking a turn off, but I mean if on turn two you played a, oh, like, under the sea or whatever a yeah. creature, and turn three you played Warbriar Blessing. And then you played this. Now you're only turning your Warbriar Blessing into a three drop, but you also have this around to continue generating, sure. generating value. Um, I think that like as long as you have a good number of like, you know, do nothing enchantments, uh, the floor on this is pretty low and the ceiling is extremely high. And I think that like given that every single color has like, you know, enchantments that like every color has an omen, and then also they have something else. Um, and that's before we even get into the ability to upgrade enchantment creatures and just like better creatures. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I've been getting this thing passed on magic online, like fourth pick or whatever. And I've been like, Oh wow. I, you know, want to move into this or like, I'm sad that I, you know, already have two colors that aren't this or whatever. Um, I, I think it's quite good. Andrew, are you, you mentioned having it sealed. How aggressively are you open to drafting this? Uh, I'm not gonna. I'd be very unhappy to first pick it. I, I kind of think you're you're if you're doing that, you're doing it because you think it's fun more so than you're trying to do whatever you can to win the movie. <clears throat> but I, I do think oh. it's a powerful card. I will acknowledge that I am not capable of ignoring fun in my drafting. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is both a fun card and it it is a good card, and I, I think you're you're completely right that you want you, you want to focus on getting the value of turning your your cantrip enchantments into three and four drops. So you want to make you definitely want to make sure you have a lot of three and four mana creatures in your deck if that's the way your enchantments line up, because you want to be able to you know trigger this thing three or four turns in a row. Right. You don't want to run out of three drops to get and just be stuck with a bunch of cantrip enchantments you were planning on converting through it. Yeah. 
I agree with that. I just, yeah, I, I think that it's, you don't have to go very far. Like, I do think that you need to draft with it in mind, like the whole draft, but I don't think that you have to like go out of your, very far out of your way. Like, I don't think you have to draft a deck that's going to be really bad if you don't draw it or something. Um, and I think that like, if you, you know, modify all of your picks slightly to be aware of this, that you will, you know, give up not a lot and get a great card out of it. Yeah, I think if you take any kind of normal blue-green constellation deck and just add it to the deck after the draft, it's going to work well and be a good card in the deck. Right. Um, all right. So, so far we're hitting pretty well on uh, having some differences of opinion. Yeah. Um, so let's move on now to Hactos the Unscarred. This is red, red, white, white for a legendary creature, human warrior. It is a 6-1 that attacks each combat if able. And as it enters the battlefield, choose two, three, or four at random. And it has protection from each converted mana cost other than the chosen number, including all numbers that cannot be chosen. Can I just say I hate the phrase choose at random? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. <laughs> it's just confusing. Like, they couldn't have come up with a more confusing way to word that if they tried. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so, given that we understand what it does, despite their best efforts, um, how do we feel about the card? I, I, I haven't played against it much. It's a very hard card to cast. You have to be specifically red-white. <clears throat> I opened it once and forced it, and my red-white deck was just unbelievably bad. I never, I think I drew this once, and it was like one of the games that I actually won. My deck was so bad, I just couldn't really like play a game of Magic. Um, so I never like had the opportunity to have a back and forth and uh, and like put this into play because my games are all over very quickly. Um, <laughs> The it looked pretty powerful to me. Uh, the the one thing about limited is that your curve of creatures is pretty important, and this kind of forces, uh, you know, forces that issue where you know, <clears throat> hopefully, you'll have some removal to be able to take out like two drop creatures if you randomly choose two or whatever. Uh, and you can push this thing through all, everything else, and it can. Uh, close the game out for you but it doesn't seem as hard to interact with as i thought it would at when i first saw it but um i like i said i only played with it in one game and that's so like everything i'm saying is about that one game where i drew it but <clears throat> yeah my uh, only ex I, i've only seen this in play exactly once and my opponent had it and i forgot that it had to attack every turn so i was like trying to race it rather than like leaving my creature that could trade with it back to block and trade and get on with my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the, my, my actual in-game experience with it is not super relevant. Um, I think, I mean, the, the casting cost has always been a deal breaker for me and that yeah. I'm basically never in red white to begin with. Um, and I don't want to start with hard committing to red white for this. Yeah, um, I'm the same page. I do think that if you have this and you're going to play it, you really want to prioritize removal. Um, I think that like the you know the big thing to do with this is just answer your opponent's things that cost the amount of mana that let them in interact with this. Um, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you you can't even like cast combat tricks on this. 
which is kind right. of Red Wings thing. So uh, right. it's strange. <laughs> yeah. That, that's one of the interesting things about the card to me is like trying to figure out. I think if I have this in my deck, I'm more willing to play with Indomitable Will. Just to hope to spike two <laughs> as the number. And then if they block with a two drop, you get to Indomitable Will and blow them out. Well, it, you don't really blow them out, but you probably, <laughs> at that point, Hactos probably is good enough to beat all the twos from then on out. Right, or they that's run what I mean by blow them out. Like, you've answered their thing, kept your guy, and now you have a, like, 7-3 that can only be stopped by twos. Yeah. Yeah. Aspect of the Manticore is kind of worse because it only works the first time, but maybe yeah. they run out of threes. I, I, I've had this a couple of times, and it's... It's worth it, I guess, if you're a red-white deck, but it's not, like, given how hard it is to cast, it's n really nothing special. I think I'm going to, yeah, I'm certainly going to first pick this if I'm already in red-white. I, I, I think it's powerful enough to do that. Wait, just, you would first pick it? If I'm red-white. Like, if you're pack two, you're uh, already, already red-white. Okay, white. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were, like, after all, after this conversation, your conclusion was that it's better than an enigmatic incarnation, and I was confused. No, uh, I mean, I would... Yeah, that's a. I was going to say I'd rather have this in my deck, but that's not true. I'd rather be a blue green deck with an enigmatic incarceration than a red white deck. I do not like red white very much. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I think this is powerful enough that if you're red white, you should be taking it over basically everything. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not internalizing all the, uh, the uncommons and commons right now, but. Would you take this over Banishing Light? <sighs> I, 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 yes, but I don't know if I'm right. Um, I okay. think that's not right. In red white, yeah, I I think banishing light is just so good, and this card okay. is like, it's an average it's, between like a, a a two and a seven or something. It's also like it's a weird question because I will, if I'm already in red white, I've already drafted. I kind of understand what my table might be like, and this thing sh this thing should be wheeling more than I see it, right? Like. I imagine at a pro tour, you will be able to wheel this card because no one else is red, white. And no one else will try to, you know, cut it or splash it or whatever. It's double red, double white. It's the kind of card that like I open Banishing Light. I think there's going to be at a pro tour draft a 20 percent chance this thing wheels. I'm going to take Banishing Light. Whereas if I'm at, you know, a random draft right. with where people might just try it, you know, try, trying to have fun, they might just try to wedge this into their deck to try it. It's different. <laughs> That's hard to imagine, but all right. I'm not even sure if you open this pack two and you're like solidly in red white that it's better than the red white uncommon creature, the hero of yeah. That might be it's really good. Yeah, yeah, that, that card is good. Um, again, and this should be. It's more. It's just more committal. This, the, the, I should be seeing this card later than I am, and I just I've never seen this in a pack, pick three or whatever. Oh, I've been in like paper drafts where. There have been multiple of these things tabling. Yeah, I mean, uh, your are your paper drafts like a lot of very experienced limited players that. Play yeah, a lot it was and like all people who are going to be playing in the PT. Yeah, that's what I would expect. I would expect to see this later than I am. Like the sure, but anyways, um, all right. So, Banishing Light is a better card than this. Andrew says in red white. I can certainly believe that. Um, what I know right now, I would still just be taking this just to learn more, but. <clears throat> All right. So the next rare that we're going to talk about, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on, um, but it's Idyllic Tutor. Uh, this is 
Two and a white sorcery, search your library for an enchantment card, reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle your library. Um, I don't expect any of us think there's any chance you should ever first pick this no. uh, <laughs> in pack one. Um, and I suspect that most often you shouldn't play this card. Um, yeah. Like if your plan is to, you know, add three to the casting cost of your enchantment based removal spell, um, I, I don't think that's a good use of your mana. Um, what is the worst enchantment you could have that would make you put this in card in your deck? Whew, uh, worst. I mean, it, it would have to be some kind of build around or end gamer. Like, it, for instance, the, the, you guys are talking about the enigmatic incarcer- incarnation type deck. Um, if you have like a great deck with that, um, then I would want this because I want my deck to be more consistent. Uh, <laughs> the worst one. Like I don't think like 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 nightmare sh- uh Crowan War nightmare sh- I don't think I would want it for any of those kind of things. But I, I guess it's just Cura, that's the Sea Gods or something. Or like that's the only card. It's one of the only ones that I'm interested in. Or gods. What about Elspeth Conqueror's Death? Uh, that was one I was thinking about too, but I don't. I don't think so. It's just what too about expensive. Heliod Suncrowned. That one, yes, I think so. I think the gods, if you have um, very uh, dedicated, like if I have a mostly white deck, if I can turn them on and the god is going, the the important reason that I want to turn on the god is so that you don't lose as much tempo. But if you're going to like cast this, put Heliod in play over the course of two turns and not get anything in exchange, like not actually have a board presence, that would be a problem. That's taking two turns off. Mm -hmm. So I would think I would want to be able to turn on the god before I got it. Um, and I don't know. I can't think of any cheap enough enchantments that are like, you know, this card costs two mana, but it's good enough to cost five type thing other than removal. That's the other case. If you have a good, if you have Elspeth's Conquer's death and you have a lot of good cheap removal, say you're a white black tech that has uh, Myers Grasp and stuff in it then this card gets a lot better because you can find your powerful right. card in the late game, but you can also just turn it into a five-minute removal spell. So those kind of yep. situations is where I'd want to play the tutor. Um, or, like I said, you have Cure's best sea god. I'm, I'm going to put this in my deck even if I don't have much else just because that card is going to win the game on its own. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, what about like a card like Mantle of the Wolf? <sighs> no. Uh, I don't think that's, that's quite good enough. Whereas Heliod's Pilgrim is different because that actually gives you a body to attach... The mantle right. too. <clears throat> um, so no, I don't think so. Mike, uh, what about uh, the Acroan War? That's what I was thinking about. I don't think so because the Acroan War is best when you have creatures in play. It would ha- it would depend more on my uh, secondary targets for it. Or maybe you'd like board it in if the match is likely to go to a board stall, but you wouldn't want to like main deck it to find that. Yeah. That would make more. Again, it's like if I have a bunch of dreadful apathies or something, there's nothing. Or I guess there's a Rois's blessing too. If you have some other stuff that it, it's not just. <clears throat> the thing about the Akron War is it can be situationally bad. Right, of course. Yeah. So uh, I would want something more. Um, maybe specifically dreadful apathy. Even a Rois's blessing does require, you know, you to have a board presence. <clears throat> Andrew, have you had any Adelic Tutor decks? I have not, so. No. I, I was going to ask you guys, 
Are you aware that escape velocity is an enchantment? Escape. Oh. <laughs> the, the, give the, haste. The haste. <laughs> yeah, somebody yes. cast that against me the other day, and I had no idea it was an even an enchantment. Even an enchantment. Yeah, I, I think I just don't want this card in my deck at all. So I was thinking not what's the worst enchantment you could have to play this. I was just thinking what's the worst <laughs> enchantment you could get. <laughs> so you would not play this if you had Kira Best of the Sea God? I, I, I was thinking about that. That's a, like that's one the of the line. standout ones, but I just if I'm if I have Kira Best of the Sea God, like I'm certainly I'm gonna play every copy of Thirst for Meaning I have before I've ever put Idyllic Tutor in my deck. Like that's not even close. Sure. I mean, yeah, more interestingly, <laughs> like, am I going to play all my copies of Memory Drain before I put Idyllic Tutor in my deck? And I think I would probably just play every Memory Drain I had before I put Idyllic Tutor okay. in my deck. So I, I, I think at that point, sure. you're kind of just, are you really ever putting Idyllic Tutor in your deck if you think it's worse than Memory Drain when you have Cure Pestilacy Guide? I mean, maybe it'll eventually come I... up, but it's just, I, I don't think it's good. Okay. Yeah, I think. I mean, I personally think if you have specifically cure the best of sea god, I think it would be as long as you have other targets. If it's literally your only target or whatever, um, I, I think it would be a mistake not to play a Dilic tutor. But I know, like, the problem is cure's best of sea god specifically catches you up so much on its own that I think it's worth just having access to. Yeah, more often. but I mean, that card's also seven mana, so I know. Right. You just think <laughs> that you need to play a game that's going to get you to seven, and you need. To interact rather than take a turn off in order to live to cast it and that your primary concern is less finding it and more just living to seven well yeah and also i mean like memory drain is a card that at least it the scry two on that card you know you're right. finding your lands or you're digging towards it if you have you know, you the... you should build a long game deck where you, you know you're yeah, gonna this find isn't it eventually a card i would have competing with like memory drain it would be with competing with like benthic giant or something like, I would want well, my ways to close the game to be competing with this, not my, like... I mean, I, I think I mean, Andrew's point is that Blue has so much card selection as it is. Just Yeah, it is very true. Like Memory it's, Drain and uh, Thirst for Meaning and Omen of the Sea. My experience with Cure the Best of Sea God is I'm casting it, you know, when I want to be casting it a large percentage of the time. So you could be... The, the fact that you have Omen of the Sea, which digs very deep on its own, uh, especially right. if you're willing to spend five total mana... Um, I yeah, can, I mean, so the, I the last that. draft that I had where I had Kiara Best of the Sea God, I did not have Idyllic Tutor, and I did cast Kiara Best of the Sea God literally every game I played. But, like, my average blue decks have maybe one Thirst, one Omen, and not much else. I mean, like, the first draft I ever did, I got seven Thirst for meetings or something. <laughs> I, I was getting them last pick and stuff like that, which I just don't think happens anymore. Um, obviously that's an exceptionally high number of them as well to be just opened in the draft. But I just don't, right. like, I think, you know, Omen of the Sea is not a card I get very late anymore either. So Yeah, but, it, like, it, even ignoring, I mean, those, like, actively good cards, you'd agree that you pretty much, like, Memory Drain is a card that mostly just doesn't even make your deck. Yes, I agree with that. And I, I think that I'd rather just play Memory Drain than play Idyllic Tutor. Because it's going to be it's going to be a card that's like it does work you towards your goal of getting Cure Best of Sea God into play, but it also is just like good in a lot of normal games. Yeah, the, the, I guess the situations what I'm describing is I'm worried, and this actually probably won't come up much in blue white specifically because I don't think blue white decks necessarily play out like this um, because there's a lot of generally a lot of threats you can have in, in blue white decks or whatever uh, flying creatures. 
uh, ways to close the game, whatever. But like my threat light decks that are really leaning on Cure of the Best of Sea God to close the game and like the games where Cure of the Best of Sea God is like in your bottom three cards or whatever. Like you just don't win the game. Um, and I'd rather prevent wow. that uh, from ever happening. And just I just think Cure of the Best of Sea God catches, up, catches you up enough on its own that you can can take... You can spend three mana somewhere and catch it up. And I'd rather do that than play Benthic Giant, for instance. This is my point. This is, this is, I'm looking at a Daily Tutor like a creature specifically. Right. You're like, well, I'm, yes, I agree. Condition. I'm going to play all of my interaction. Yes. Days, if I need but it. After I've done that, I still might have like another like win condition and I'd rather just have a Daily Tutor. Yes. I'd rather just make sure that I'm not going to lose because, you know, one of my two win conditions is in the, you know, I drew a Benthic Giant that got easily removed. Cure of Sea God is very difficult to interact with and all that stuff that I think it's, I think it is worth finding, uh, you know, as long as you have other stuff to get with a tutor where you can, I mean, having Dreadful Apathy or an Itchy Morphos or something like that, it would be a requirement. I, I would never play it if it was the only thing I could get. But even just having sure. a six mana removal spell uh, to have access to can get you to that goal that you're describing, right. Andrew. <clears throat> and again, it depends. I, I would say that we failed miserably at not spending a lot of time on this. Yeah, but I think it was um, an interesting discussion. I'm definitely, I've definitely moved a little bit uh, toward Andrew's direction. Um, okay. I do think that there, it's possible to have a deck where I would play a Delic Tutor to find Cure Best of the Sea God, but I, I also think that it is correct to like, you know, prioritize other ways of like getting through your library over it. And yeah, I agree that it's you know. It's certainly going to be fringe to ever play it. I'm certainly not going to play it if my deck is full with Thirst for Knowledge and I'm as a C or whatever, because I'm just not like, you're going to be able to find the cure or the best you got or whatever. But like when, when I'm lacking those things and I'm really leading on the card, I I just think not, not spending three extra, it, it's a card that's worth spending three extra mana at some point in the game for. But right. yeah, <laughs> this is All a right. very unique situation. All so right. next card I want to talk about is Labyrinth of Scophos. Yes. This is a card that I think is both Slightly contentious um, and kind of interesting just to talk about how it plays. Um, so this is a land that taps for a colorless, or you can spend four mana and tap it to remove target attacking or blocking creature from combat. Um, so there's kind of a like general, you know, limited philosophy here about how much you prioritize colorless utility lands. And then a separate question about among colorless utility lands, how good is this? Um, so I don't know if either of you want to cover either part of that, um, but thoughts? Um, I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, go ahead. Uh, two of the things, well, let me, let me start with the colorless utility lands thing. I generally hate having colorless lands in my deck in limited. Uh, I, I think I'm with, that I'm with Andrew on that. colored mana problems are like one of the easiest ways to lose a game with limited. So I, I, they have to be really good for me to play it. I do think this land is really good. So mm -hmm. I, I think if you're a two-color deck, you want to put it in your deck just 100% of the time. Um, maybe you don't want to... Maybe it's not like the absolute best card you can pick for your deck if you see it in pack two. Like, it, there, there may be some uncommons you would pick over it, maybe a really good common. But it is a really good card you're going to play all the time. I think if you're a more than a two-color deck or you're like a two-color deck where you're really worried about your colored mana situation, you should still consider playing this and maybe just play it as an additional land because it is an extremely yeah, powerful that's a, effect. 
that's kind of where I'm at, like with the the colorless land thing. I, I, I with Andrew on this. I know there's a lot of people who have different opinions on this. Um, I don't like playing colorless lands in my limited decks for exactly the reason that uh, Andrew described, which is also I think we talked about this in the last podcast. Why I'm more willing to play evolving wilds and generic two card color decks than I am uh, than other people are. I think I take it even farther than that because Andrew, you don't like evolving wilds because you don't like comes into play tap lands either. But well, a, a brief departure here, uh, just. Uh... To call to a conversation I had on Twitter yesterday. Um, oh, the Traveler's Amulet. Yes. Yeah. yeah are, you, are you willing to play Traveler's Amulet in two color decks? No, that's two mana, not one mana. Right. <clears throat> the, right. The, the, big thing about, the big thing about Evolving Wilds is when you play it on turn one, you, it doesn't usually cost you much. You don't usually want to play right. one drops in limited. Um, Traveler's Amulet, you play it on turn one, it costs you the ability to cast a car, another card on the curve at some point. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's. <clears throat> All right, so uh, next question with Labyrinth of Scophus. Do you prefer this as an aggressive card, defensive card, doesn't matter? Does it give you any, like if you first pick this in a draft, does it inform anything about how you're drafting from there? Yeah, I always just take the three, four whenever I see it. No, um, I, no, I, I think it's it's good in both. I think it's better as an aggressive card. Um, First of all, the creature stays tapped, which is really good. It's not like Maze of Ith or wherever where the creature could still block if you're trying to race them. So they have to be willing to, if they're going to try to race you, they have to be willing to tap their their creature and only get half the damage or whatever. Also, it works on blockers. I don't think any of the old ones used to. Uh, I thought this was like an identical reprint to the no, I th- Mystifying Maze. Did Mystifying Maze do that as well? Um, I know like Corehaven did. But, uh, but but I'm thinking of like the recent ones that were similar to this. I don't think any of them removed blockers. <clears throat> I think the one from uh, Ixalan was just functionally Maze of Ith or Maze of Ith minus some of the weird timing things. On yeah, that, yeah, that was definitely just uh, attackers and it untapped them, I believe. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, this, this one gets to... Uh, like you can attack, you know, your two three threes into a four four, get three damage and activate this. And if you're ahead on on life total, this is something that you'd want to be doing. Um, and you know, obviously you'd have to have the extra mana. And almost more importantly, with this, you can attack your four four into their two three threes. Yes, and they that, can't that, that double the block because you get to remove one of them and kill yeah, the other. That has come up a lot for me, where my opponents have double blocked, not realizing they were going to just lose. What, they were just chump blocking. Um, right. The other place where this is really punished blocking, in my experience, is if you're attacking with a trampling Trample creature. Trample creatures, yeah. Um, you just remove the blocker, and it's like they never blocked, and your creatures just become unblockable. Yes, it's, it's uh, good with the what is it, Nylea, the five three that gives all your creatures trample. Yeah, Nylea's forerunner. Nylea's forerunner. Yeah, it makes blocking. You know, if if you're behind and you're facing blocks with this thing in play, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, I, yeah, I think I, exactly what Andrew said, uh, going back a little bit. If the card, as far as colorless lands are concerned, if the card is good enough to warrant taking a spell slot in my deck, um, then I'm I'm willing to play it. Um, like, you know, maybe I play an 18th land or a 17th land in a, in a deck that I otherwise play 16. Um, and I think this is definitely uh, does that. I think this is worth a, a spell slot in my deck for sure. <clears throat> and uh, yeah. yeah, it's... Uh, I, I do think that... Um, as far as addressing my own question about whether this gives you any direction, I do think that like 
while people who are, you know, maybe defaulting to comparing this to Mazeveth might think of it as a defensive card. Yeah. I think that I actively prefer to be aggressive if I have this card. And more than that, I want to actively prioritize having big and or trampling creatures specifically to take advantage of the two different things that we were talking about in terms of using this on uh, offense, in terms of preventing double blocks and uh, enabling trample. Um, I think that it's, you know, enough, like, basically I think that committing five lands every turn to stopping your opponent from attacking you when you're behind isn't going to catch you up. And um, you get a lot less value defensively out of threat of activation than you do offensively where threat of activation is preventing double blocks without you ever needing to spend any mana. And then you can continue to play spells after combat with this. Yeah. So I think you actually get a lot more value out of this out of like a red green deck than most other places. So I, I do think it's not like I am drafting as if I have a red green gold card, but I am going to buy a slightly in that direction if I start with this. Yeah. So another point I want to make about it uh, for people who maybe don't play against it a lot or whatever is I see I've also come across a lot of people who are kind of lazily not attacking with their creature. Like they'll have like a vexing call on a board stall and they know I'm going to use this. So they mm-hmm. just don't attack. And then I just do something with my mana in their end step. Just right. make sure that you're, you know, making them commit the five mana, even if they're not, you're not going to get any damage in, uh, which is yeah. a, a very common mistake. So I figured I'd point it out. Sure. <clears throat> um, okay. All I right. think that does it for that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to another one that I know uh, has been somewhat controversial in the community. I don't know about whether... We will disagree, but uh, Nessian Boar, this is three green green for a 10-6 creature boar. All creatures block Nessian Boar, or all creatures able to block Nessian Boar do so. And whenever Nessian Boar becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller draws a card. I believe that templating on that first sentence is different from how previous cards with lure. Um, but anyway. Uh, able to block Nessian board do so well how is it different well i think usually it involves the word must oh okay yeah no it does okay here it's just stating it as a fact okay (laughs) i think there used to be issues with the previous wording where like it would be confusing if something said can't block and something said must block Maybe they changed right. it to get around that. I, I I don't know that that has any implications for actually playing with this card in this set, though. No, it, it certainly plays the same way. I, I don't know if it's, maybe this is fewer words or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, how do we feel about the quality of this card? Uh, it's always looked very good to me. Um, I, I've only had it once, um, but my every time my opponent played it, I'm, you know, like, oh crap, what am I going to do? Uh, if they don't have removal, it seems like it's going to just win the game. Uh, obviously, there's the, you know, each creature they block with draws them a card problem with it. So, like, instant speed removal can really blow it out. But I think if you're, like, you know, aware of that, they leave up their five mana for final reward, you just, you know, play another creature and pass the turn, don't attack with this thing, and you can eventually get it to a point where you have lethal in play. So if they try to do that, all of their creatures are already committed to blocks, and they lose... <laughs> Or they lose all their creatures, draw a couple extra cards, and you get a bunch of damage in and, and you know, lose one of your attacking creatures. So I don't think the the drawback, if you will, is punishing enough to, like, not play the card. But yeah, my, my experience has been that once I thought about not playing it, and then I played it instead, and then it, like, easily won every game where I drew it. Yeah. Um, 
I think that if you are inclined to not play it because of its drawback, you should instead play it cautiously. Um, And like there, you know, like if you just play this on like an empty board uh, then like if your opponent plays just like their five drop, they have to acknowledge that you can spend your turn cycling their five drop out of play um, and hitting them with whatever smaller creatures you had. Um, If like it's just really hard to play against this card like you have to like leave like if you're trying to race this thing you have to like leave a blocker back so that you can like chump block it rather than taking 10 and if you leave only a single blocker back now if i have a removal spell i can kill your blocker and hit you for 10 and there's no drawback um and you also have to like you do want to try to race because you have to pay attention to the you know the thing you were talking about where if this just results in a board stall then you just win the game when you have lethal power outside of this if your opponent can't stop it at instant speed there's also just not that much removal at instant speed in the format that kills it yeah um like there's no green card one white common no white uncommons or rares i believe Mm. um there's the blue bounce spell uh, but there's only one of those. Oh, I guess they can flicker it. Yeah. Um, there is no red card. And there's one black common and one black uncommon and one black rare. Well, you don't want to get this thing threatened against red, but yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then aside from all of that, uh, have you guys put wings on this thing? No, I've given a trample. I, I, I haven't that's done that. Too. That seems worth doing to me, though. Yeah, I, I have done it, and it was worth doing. <laughs> um, Wing? Oh, Wings of uh, Hubris. Yeah. Ten, ten damage, yeah. Yeah, and even, like, if you... So you, you hit them with it once, and then, like, even if they find a flyer, you can sack the wings for, you know... Ten damage, next yeah. Next ten. Um, or maybe you just, like, got them down to ten, and they have, like, flyers or whatever, and you just play this, sack the wings, kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think this card is really, really good. I think that it, you know, you should always play it, and I think that you should draft it very aggressively. I agree. I was taking it over every common, and I think every uncommon. I take almost any rare I think is playable over any uncommon right now, and at that stage. Yeah, I, so. I, I agree as well. I think this card's great. I, I do mm. think if you get it, you do kind of want to bias your picks towards ways to make it punch through for damage. Like, I think the right. wrong... Well, first of all, attacking this card with this card into your opponent's two creatures and having them just double block and kill it, that is disastrously bad for you. Yeah. In general, yes. you don't want to do that. Um, trying to construct your deck with the idea that you're going to attack with this every turn and kind of have your opponent in the abyss where you're going to keep eating their creatures, I don't think is a good way to approach the card. I, I think you really... Right. I think it's fine if the game goes that way, as long as you're like abyssing reasonable creatures. But I do think that you want to be able to put like wings or Satessin training or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or Nile is forerunner. I, I've also I've had it a yeah. bunch of times in blue green decks where I would play the Sea God Scorn to just get okay. rid of all their blockers. Or I'd play Sleep of the Dead to just tap sure. their blockers. I think you could also, if you were a red green, you could consider playing Rapid Flames in your deck. Um, yeah, your own, uh, how do, what about Portent of Betrayal? Like, 
it's just it seems like yeah. at that point you're pushing enough damage that it might be worth it. Yeah, I just like you you want to I think this deck this card it pairs well with like any kind of ways of cheesing it through so that people can't block, which also does Do you also think it just plays well with just having a lot of removal? Yes, but I think that's way harder to do if you're a base green deck because you're going to have to get most of your removal from another color and that isn't necessarily sure. going to be available to you. But I was just going to say, it yeah. usually goes really well with the kind of cards that go really well with Loathsome Chimera. Sure. So like that sort of is a common you can get much more easily that's going to work with the same things that the boar is going to be good at doing. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, obviously super, super good with uh, Warbearer Blessing. Kill even the biggest right. of creatures. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> right, so uh, moving on... Um, Let's talk, let's talk Protean Thaumaturge. So this is a one and a blue for a one, one human wizard with constellation. When an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you may have Protean Thaumaturge become a copy of target of another target creature, except it has this ability. Yeah. I don't think anyone thinks this card is bad or anything, but it's much better than it looks to me. Uh, at first I was like, oh, is this card good? It's a one, one. It's pretty fragile. The fact that you can, a curve curve into another like three drop creature, turn it into that, and it keeps getting better as the game goes. It makes it much better than a clone, right? Uh, the clone you kind of had to a clone type card. You have to kind of wait for a, a board situation where you want to play it or whatever. This just 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 constantly changing and can you know adapt to whatever your needs are. Um, so yeah, you can play it on turn two. You know if you don't think it's going to die or whatever, but you can just sequence it in the same turn with an enchantment too. Uh, so like. You know, on maybe on turn four, you play this, you play an Omen of the Sea, um, you turn it into whatever the biggest creature is, and then as it survives, it keeps growing to whatever the best creature is. Uh, that, you know, ability to, to shapeshift or whatever uh, makes this card so good. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the cards I'm taking over at, you know, anything right now. I'm pretty sure that it's just a, a really, really good rare. Yeah, my, my highlight in gameplay with this has been I had this and my opponent played Elspeth and made two tokens. And then on my turn, I just played Nelia's Forerunner, made this a copy of Nelia's Forerunner, and attacked and killed the Elspeth. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's I, I'd certainly, I'm, I'm trying to think what I did with this. I did something really gross with this um, involving rare creatures. I, I can't remember. It, just like my, my, oh, my opponent played a Dream Trawler. And uh, I was able to, like, they can make it so this can't turn into Dream Trawler, but it costs them a card every time. Um, and I was just able to... Uh, out Keep trying? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Outcard them eventually. And uh, Yeah. Oh, my, my best experience involving rare creatures was uh, copying Nyx Bloom Ancient and then playing oh, yeah, the told, yeah, one blue, one two uh, that draws three cards uh, and turning this into a copy of Nyx Bloom Ancient and just going off that turn. My worst experience was this is when I <laughs> turned it into the blue green uncommon creature that I had, uh, not realizing that oh, that was a one. Yeah, that's, that's not, <laughs> that is not a good experience. You should not do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm still getting used to these legends that uncommon thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Andrew, do you have anything to say about this? I've been less impressed with it than you guys, I guess. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad card, but I'm not sure if, like, you, you really think you should pick it over Thirst for Meaning if you're blue? Yes, I don't. I I think this card is light years better than Thirst for Meaning. 
like it, it's just very easy to it's two mana and it's it, like to kill it reliably they're going to need you know one of the good three mana removal spells like uh dreadful apathy or something but more more likely than that they're going to need just final reward or whatever it's just it's always the best creature on the battlefield it's very easy to to set that up so like well i mean i agree that it's easy to get constellation but it, it's not it does that doesn't mean it always happens Right. And no. I mean the two the two mana removal spells are going to kill this. Like most of the time, you're going to like your opponent's going to get a turn where they can uh, kill it with the red omen or Myers grasp or even Mogus's favor. Well, you just it, in my experience is no game those games when they have mana open they haven't spent mana so you don't necessarily need to spend mana and I'm just able to wait with this and play like Ananidal on in the same turn when they're tapped out. Okay, or, so you just you just try not to run this out on turn two. It, it really depends on the matchup and um, sure. yeah, it, like in the dark, if I have something else to do, I'm going to do something else. Uh, but if I have a nice curve, if I have this into say, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of the three mana, th- there's like the nim- the two, three that makes things cheaper on their turn. Like I'll, I'm very, uh, like, I, I was thinking, I was thinking of the Nyxborn guy that, uh, you know, gives an enchantment plus one plus one. Um, Sure. So if you yeah, play that and curve it into another one. You just smash them with a yes. four or five trampler uh, on turn three. Yeah, I was I was just saying another blue card, but yes, that that would be a very nice curve. If you have stuff like that, yes, you should do that. But like, I'm more looking at this as a double spell card for later in the game than uh, sure. a two drop that I'm going to try to scale up. But when I do, it, it does just scale like that. So, um, right. I don't know. My experiences have been very very positive with this card. Way better than it looked to me at first. I thought it was just. Kind of what what you said, Andrew. I, my initial reaction was I should probably just be taking thirst over it because uh, I haven't been super impressed with clone cards before. But the fact that this one just changes constantly and um, to your creatures or theirs is is just very I, very good. I, I do agree; it's a really good version of a clone. And I'm kind of like you that uh, clones generally are not that great and limited. Yeah, and this one like. It is a good version of a clone, but it is still, it's capped at being the best thing that's in play, which some games that's not going to be anything special. And it also does, it is a two-step thing. Like sometimes you're not going to be able to do the the second step, no matter how you've constructed your deck. It's just not, it's never going to be a hundred percent. No, it's of course it's not a hundred percent. You could just draw seven islands in this or whatever, or, you know, play your two. It plays really well with Indomitable Will. Yeah. Any of this stuff, Starlet Mantle. Then it's just at instant speed, better than the best thing, like better than the best thing, which means that you know it'll generally profitably trade with whatever creature it fights with. Yeah, Starlet Mantle as well. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but also it's just like you know, it, it it's a two mana card that turns into a six mana card, but also has the threat of turning into that, right? Like you can just have two mana up. They can't really attack into it if there's a 5-5 five, five creature in play with their 4-4 four, four, um, because you could just have Omen of the Sea or whatever. So it, well, it, it gains you value. cowards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Many people are cowards. <clears throat> but yeah, I think, yeah, I, I definitely think this card's very, very good. It's not like one of the best rares in the set good. It's just way better than I thought it was in terms of I thought it was mediocre and it turned out to be I think better than any common and in the range of all the best uncommons or if not better I I need more reps with the card to really have a strong opinion I always get it well that's the other thing is I've been past it a lot which is why uh I have a ton of experience I probably had it in six decks by now because I got it 
pick four, pack one constantly, which I think is definitely a mistake. Like someone down the line is making a mistake there. There's no way there's there's two or three cards in the pack better than this. <clears throat> All right. Um, so moving on, um, let's talk about Storm's Wrath. This is two red red sorcery. Storm's Wrath deals four damage to each creature and each planeswalker. Um, how do you guys feel about starting this in a format where you know red doesn't have a lot of creatures that live through it and is fairly aggressive uh, and other you know doesn't kill everything? Are we just slamming this because to sweeper and limited or are there some questions here uh i don't like one of the other problems one of the problems i have with this card too is just the escape mechanic you don't even necessarily like you you if, if you're trying to like bait them into playing it they just put it as you know they play two or three creatures into it but one of them has escape and then they just have um cards in the graveyard to escape that creature into play so you can't really one of the good things about wraths is you can kind of just run them out of cards and, and it's a very easy way to to run them out of threats and just kind of overwhelm them with the rest of your creatures whereas this doesn't necessarily do that as well or wraths in this format in general don't do that very well um i don't know i haven't been in love with this card or anything but i certainly have played it every time i've had it uh to see how it was and it's been what i expected kind of mediocre and uh at times really really good and other times you know you're ahead and it's just a dead card so uh andrew I think you were the one who wanted to talk about this card, right? Yeah, I, I've had mostly bad experiences with this card. Yeah, that's like I, I, I first picked it a couple times. I, I don't at this point. I would not first pick it over like Aroas's blessing. I, yeah, I think I think that makes a ton of sense to me. Because do you feel similarly about Shadow of the Sky, which is the White Wrath? No, I think Shadow of the Sky is quite good. Although I have, I'm not, I haven't had it very much, but I still think that one is quite good because that one always works and yeah. <laughs> you can draft a white deck where that's that can be part of your strategy where storm's wrath is just almost always the opposite of the strategy of your red deck yes yeah i, I can't well, I mean, the I, way I that mike was talking about with escape like you can draft an escape heavy red deck you can i mean with the the three one well and your other color sure um yeah i mean that's the other color is like the, the red black deck. Right, I can see that. Maybe you're talking about red black or red green. The problem I have with this in red black is um, the other, like a lot of the times when you're looking at uh, a color combination, you, the, the gold card will tell you what your like deck wants to kind of be doing. And one of that is just having stuff in play because your, your stuff turns into, you know, either the threat of activation of something like this, this Mogi, whatever it is, the two, two that sacrifice things. <laughs> Um, and this doesn't work well with that. Like you just want to kind of, you're not necessarily a hardcore sacrifice deck, but a lot of the times you have a little bit of a sub theme of that. And this takes that away kind of. So I don't know. Um, it works more in the kind of deck that you're just, you were describing earlier, Sam, right? The Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still mostly of the camp that red black is like attrition first, sac secondary, but. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think. And historically, red black has just always been an attrition deck, and it's just gotten outclassed recently because the threats have outpaced removal. <clears throat> we have less annihilates and more uh, stripe bears or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that in general, I can get behind, you know, first picking good removal spells over this. Yeah, it's just 
it's too unreliable. I, I um, also really I, don't like using a first pick on a card that I know I'm going to sideboard out of my deck like a third of the time at least. Yeah. Even if it makes my deck, and that's like even if you even if you pick this, you put it in your deck because you think it it doesn't it like it doesn't fight with the rest of your deck too much. Still, every every time you go to your sideboard, you're going to be looking. Is this a card I still want to leave in my deck? Is it actually good against my opponent's deck? And a lot of the time, it's not going to be. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. All right, let's move on to Thassa's Oracle. This is another uh, one with some... Un- this is certainly an unusual and unique card uh, with a lot of text. So this is blue-blue uh, for a 1-3. When Thassa's Oracle enters the battlefield, look at the top X cards of your library. When X is your devotion, where where X is your devotion to blue, put one of them on top and the rest on the bottom uh, in a random order. If X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. I have only had this once, maybe, and I don't think I ever drew it. Or if I did, it was it was. I mean, its floor is like an omen speaker. That's blue blue, right? Um, yeah. I mean, unless they kill oh, it in no. response, but then they're killing your one three. Yeah, it also can't do like both on top. I did draw this once. I cast it once <laughs> and I cast it for like four or five in the middle of the game. And I thought it was. Uh, did you do I uh, did you click on a card that you wanted to then click to put on the bottom? And yes, because it's yes. Moto, I thought you wanted. To, yeah, that, <laughs> yes. The, the, the Moto templating on this card is currently pretty weird, where if you're used to scry and you're used to just like, OK, I'll click this to the bottom, this to the bottom, this to the top. If you cl- the first time you click on a card, that card is on top. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, this is a much better Omen Speaker uh, in that it's going to like later in the game. Like I said, I look at to look at your f- I got to look at five cards and put one on top. And yeah. That, that's, Although with Omen Speaker, you can reliably play it on turn two to fix your mana, which this is worse at. Yes, that is that is very true. Um, it still can happen, though, um, right. where you're, you know, blue red. And I mean, yeah. I've had I've had quite a few like blue red blue black decks that are more heavy blue um just because there's a lot of card draw and i'm just splashing for removal and maybe one or two threats or whatever yeah, so sure. i'm 10 7 a lot in favor of blue when i'm drafting blue uh so you know help you find that that other color but um yeah like it it's it, i think just a slightly better omen speaker you should probably you should just always play it in your blue decks i think uh, have you, well, sure. assuming you have enough sources, like, you know, I'd probably want nine, nine sources minimum. Anytime you have nine sources, I would probably play it. So you're, you're evaluating just the, the front side. That is, yeah, I'm, I'm evaluating the, the kind of the floor as a win condition. I think that is real too. Um, a lot of, like I said to, when we were arguing about idyllic tutor, um, some of my blue decks just don't have ways to win because the blue win conditions are so bad. Uh, you know, there's like Watcher for Tomorrow, I think is like the common way to close a game. Um, Benthic Giant and stuff like that. But you're very good at drawing cards and getting through your deck. I don't know. I, I haven't played a deck that is like dedicated self mill, tries to find this or like, you know, bring it back with Omen of the, the Dead or whatever and uh, win with it or whatever. But I think it's very realistic to just draw through your deck and have this as like an alternate way to win. <clears throat> Andrew, have you what what are your thoughts on this card? Uh well I had I, I've had a blue-green deck that was like dedicated self-mill try to win with this card. And that was pretty hard to get to work. I, I don't think yeah. that that is a 
great strategy. Yeah, there's, no there's no redundancy, and there's just not there's not a lot of ways to get it. Well, out of I think the problem there might be that you were blue green. I think well, that like if you're going to try to do it, you really want to be blue black. Well, so that I you mean, can... blue green makes sense because of the relentless pursuit. I think is where probably what what uh well i had multiple copies of the green uncommon saga binding of the titans i think sure oh, yeah, okay there, there's a way to get back yeah like it, it, it both mills you and it finds it yep. so like that sort of that was a plan but i don't i don't think that the way this format works you really like you can't just spend all your mana turn after turn milling just like stuff. milling your deck trying <laughs> to find this thing and getting to zero cards like that that takes a lot of commitment yeah, which I I don't mm-hmm. think is a great plan. The other thing I was going to say you is you don't you're not a firm believer in the uh, Thassa's Oracle and then the mill yourself for four with escape and just turbo decking yourself that way. I've never tried that. That sounds it's like very, it would be pretty bad. It's very expensive, <laughs> and also minute, you have to you cast have, it. you're, it's not finding the Thassa's Oracle. Like, right, it, you you have to like pair it with. Uh, like Black Tev, Omen of the Dead, or something like that. Yeah. The other yeah, thing I was going to say about this is you guys described it as a, just a better Omen Speaker, which is not, I mean, that's a really low bar to me. Like, Omen Speaker yeah. is not a card I would always put in a limited deck, I don't think. Definitely like agree. It, like, it's okay. That's just its, it's, it's uh, floor, though, right, is Omen Speaker. Its ceiling is, it's like this unique win condition. Um, while also well, being a defensive creature. I mean, this is not a card I'm going to like first pick or anything, but if it falls into my lap, I'm more I'm more willing to draft a more dedicated control deck. Um with this as kind of like, you know, one less win condition I'll I'll need to pick up to try to close the game up. One less stupid creature that they can probably find a reward or whatever. Yeah, I it, it's true that the win the game text on it is not it's not irrelevant. It actually matters. Yeah. You, you, you should not ignore that when you're evaluating the card. Well, you're saying like it comes up in games, but you don't think you should draft it particularly differently based on it? Uh, no, I, I, I guess I'm saying you need to, like when you see this card, whatever point you see it in the draft, you need to evaluate, like, is my deck actually facilitating trying to win through this, or is this just going to be something that's going to happen only in a really long game? And then evaluate the card based on that. Like mm-hmm, the blue green deck I was describing, I think I first picked it in the third pack because I already had a ton of self mill, and I was like, you know, my deck can actively try to to win the game in this way. Right. So I take it I'm the only one of us who's going to take it first pick, first pack. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I'd rather probably... take a card at random. <laughs> <laughs> From the, for, I mean, there's. I think there's been packs that I've opened that have been bad enough where I'd have first pick this, but it's maybe one pack out of, you know, the. I, I think you're actually going to do better with a card at random on average. <laughs> oh, I think that's probably true. Uh, to, to, to specify, um, I would first pick it on Magic Online um, because I would have a lot more fun trying, like trying to draft around it and seeing if it works, than starting with a card that I, you know, would start with in most drafts. I don't think that it is strategically correct to optimize your win percentage to first pick this. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I will tell you that, you know, if right after this call, I fire up a draft and I open Thassa's Oracle, I'm certainly clicking on it. 
Fair. If I have Thassa already, I'm going to take it over cards that I think it's better yeah, than they just, are just to try. But yeah. <laughs> um, I've opened too many Thassas now. I'm not going to open any more Law of Averages and everything. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's move on to um, Treacherous Blessing. Okay. Uh, Two and a black enchantment. When Treacherous Blessing enters the battlefield, draw three cards. Whenever you cast a spell, you lose one life. When Treacherous Blessing becomes the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. Mm. Have either of you played this? Yes, I played it in black-red, uh, where I had ways to sacrifice it. Uh, in general, the red sacrifice outlets can sacrifice enchantments. The black ones can't. Um, so, specifically, you're going to have to be black-red a lot of the times to get a free way to get rid of this. Outside of that... I don't really think I want to ever start it in my deck. There may be some matchups against like Sam's Thassa's Oracle's decks where I'd put this in my deck because <laughs> Sam's not trying to deal me damage. And so this is just a three mana draw three. But in general, I would not, I, do, I don't think it's worth it uh, unless you can, you know, sacrifice it for free um, f- to one of your things. And it's not a good plan to try to return to nature or something like that. That is not a good thing to do, be doing with a card like this. Uh, so yeah, I think it's kind of a black, red, gold card in my opinion. And yeah, that's right. I'm, I've evaluated this as a black, red, gold card that only works in some black, red decks. And so I have not been willing to take it until I already have some ways to sacrifice it. And I've never been in that spot. Yeah. The, um, the far- I actually think that to me, like, I think, I mean, I, I suspect that I'm going to get some pushback on this, but to me, I think that this is worse than Allure of the Unknown. I think that it works oh. in a smaller percentage of my red black decks. Oh, I was going to describe it as a better allure of the unknown. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I've had this card a lot, and I think you guys are both really underrating it. Okay, I, I, it's like I, I think it's just slam dunk great card in almost any red black deck. Because if yeah, even if that. your red black deck can't get rid of it, it's your, your deck's probably pretty aggressive. Like, I think it's a mistake to look at this card and say like, okay, I, I put this in my deck now. I just have to have a plan to get rid of it. No, I, the games, I, I think that you. The, the problem I have with decks that the decks that can't get rid of it right away, um, I don't find outside of black red the black decks to be all that aggressive. So you end up playing long games, and this can be the, a card at the top of your curve, uh, where you know you've played a lot of your spells for the game. You're going to draw this to find your one specific, you know, one or two removal spells uh, or uh, you know win conditions or whatever to close the game out, but. In general, I want to be able to cast all my cards when I can. Um, and like I said, a lot of the other black decks, I find them pretty slow, like black green, stuff like that, or have well, other card advantage sources that are just better than this. That's why so I really like So I, I think, I mean, you could, in a black green deck, you could just, you might have a bunch of Nyx Wardens and be like a Constellation deck. And at that point... That doesn't really happen for, like, I rarely have Nyx Warden in my black green decks because my, like... In my ideal I, black green decks, that's just not what they look like. I, I think Nick's Warden is actually a good card. I, I think it's a mistake to not play it in your deck usually. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, it's not. It, it's more that my black green decks are kind of, you know, the, I, I've been having them where I'm attacking a lot, and uh, I keep forgetting the name of the card. Underworld, uh, not champion. I got Charger. 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 Yes. So like I'm curving that into Typhon and, and kind of using my uh, expensive removal to push through more damage that way. That's how I've, I've had black green. It may be 
I've had like the splash ones. Like I tweeted out a picture of a really cool, my really cool black green deck splashing fast or whatever, where I did play Nyx Warden and I was, I, I wanted more of them because, because I was planning on playing a, a slower game where I grind them out and, and kind of run them out of things and want to have, make sure I don't die to, you know, aggro decks or flyers or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I misvalued. It, it, it's certainly like three cards for one is a, a very powerful effect. And the pro- the problem is the downside I can see losing the games with some like my black blue decks, uh, yeah. my black white decks where I just don't have ways to win. And I end, I end up having to cast a lot of spells over the course of the game. <clears throat> but so, Andrew, do you generally play this in black decks that can't sacrifice it? I would not play it in black blue. Um, yeah, blue it, just has too much good card advantage. Yeah, like it, it blue does the same thing without the drawback. Yeah. Um, I've mostly had it in black red, so I, I don't know that I have a, have a ton of experience with it in black white or black green, but I do just think that the drawback is really not that big. It, unlike okay. a lot of card drawing cards where like a three mana like divination, where a lot of the times I'll just play divination on the third turn, even if I have a different play, you're going to want this to be the last card out of your hand, which is a little bit awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I, like it, a top end type spell. Yeah, but I, I think that in a lot of other decks, if you compare it to funeral rites, you have to really want sure. the mill part of funeral rites to the, for this card to actually be worse than funeral rites. Okay, I do think that I often really want the mill part of funeral rites. But yeah, me, me too. And black in general, like there's just so many good escape cards that you want to fuel. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean. Like, to me, in most of my black decks, putting three cards in the graveyard is remarkably close to drawing a card. Between the fact that I find an escape card I didn't previously have and the fact that it's enough cards to get an extra cast of an escape card. And so given that Treacherous Blessing itself doesn't go to the graveyard, whereas Funeral Rites does, I kind of think of Funeral Rites as giving you as many cards as Treacherous Blessing. And yes, it costs two life and Treacherous Blessing costs life, but I think that, you know, if you're using these cards that you drew, then the Treacherous Blessing is going to make you lose more life than the Funeral Rites. And if we're saying, you know, the floor here is it's comparable to Funeral Rites, like Funeral Rites is already not a card that I always play as many copies as I can get of. Yeah, it's yeah. It, like this is a card that it's, I think, comparable to Funeral Rites, except if you're in red-black, then I think it's just much better. Yeah. I, I did want to say... Sam, how much of your draft experience is like eight-person normal draft versus team draft? A vast majority eight-person normal draft. Oh, because my impression is that escape is not as dominant as you seem to be making it out to be. Interesting. Like, I I think escape's a good mechanic, but I don't think it's dominant. Yeah, I think think that pretty much all of the creatures that have escape on them, you're you're generally happy to have them in your deck. The only one that's maybe an exception to that is the green uncommon, which is a little bit situational. Like escape, the uh, cards are generally good, but I don't feel like there's a lot of games where it's just dominated by someone escaping an underworld charger on turn six. Okay. Like I, I think a lot of the times a rare just completely outclasses that as a plan, or the you know the game doesn't even last to the point where you get to to do it, or, or your opponent has an exile removal. Like it, it's. I'm not saying those cards are bad. I'm just saying that I don't. 
I don't, you don't think a lot of the games end with someone escaping something or yeah, you know, like I, I don't think that twice. that's what winds up mattering in a lot of the games. Sure, I, I think that there are a lot of decks that are very much trying to make the game about something else, and I think they succeed at that pretty often. I also yeah. just think that you know the decks that I've had that like I, I've had a lot of success with black green decks that you know try to push the game to come down to escape, and I feel like I can often make that happen. And also black red decks. Yeah, black red. Well, black red. If if it's drafted as described, where you just have you know you can answer a lot of the other uh, problematic creatures, then escape creatures since they're bigger, especially you know underworld charger or whatever is a five five. If you can manage the rest of the stuff, then a five five is pretty big. And green doesn't necessarily have all the answers um, that red does, and <clears throat> or whatever. So uh, I could see the. F- Five five being like green already has access to a bunch of big creatures anyways. So, you know, if your black green deck's gonna be escape like setting up to escape an underworld charger, you can just play a five five, and it's not if they can't answer it, they're gonna lose anyways. I, I, I basically I kind of agree with Andrew said. Like I, I think that there are specific escape cards. Farika's spawn or whatever can kind of dictate a game. Um, you can kind of just especially in black red where you can just kind of kill everything except the one big creature, and then Farika spawn it. Freaker spawn will completely swing the game, but like putting an underworld charger into play is rarely what's uh, deciding my games too. So I, I, I guess sure. I agree with what Andrew's saying. And the rares are exceptionally powerful in, in this uh, in this set. Right. Uh, but yeah, all right. So I guess I'll tr- try playing Treacherous Blessing more in in um, non black red decks. But like, I think I did once and just could never cast it because it was always like I was behind or something or I had him. Yeah, I still think I'm just yeah. not going to plan to do that ever. And I still think that I want like at least two ways to sacrifice it, to think about playing it in red, black. Do you guys remember playing with demonic pact and whatever the core set was that had that one? No, it was a mythic rare. I don't think I ever had it. It was origins. Oh. Like, I, I thought that card was just busted and I would always play with it, regardless of whether or not I had a way to get rid of it. That did a lot. You just try to win the game? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that card being very good. Wasn't that draw four, though, or something? No, you, you drew two no, cards draw two. and you drained four life and then you made them discard two cards and then you lost the game. Okay. Like, I, I this is... Treacherous Blessing doesn't go in every black deck for sure, but it is a ton of upfront power Yeah, with a drawback that does put the game on a, a pace where you need to finish it or you're going to lose. Yeah. It's not nearly as extreme as Demonic Pact, but I do think it's kind of the same thing where I, I'm frequently willing to just gamble on get the really powerful effect and like hope to win before the drawback matters. Sure. it It is... Amusing to me that, I mean, I feel like I hear you, I understand how this card is better than I thought, but I still think that we just, you know, completely disagree on, like, comparing this to Allure. Um, well, I just think there's a lot of sources of card advantage in this format and uh, that don't have drawbacks that have upside, like Relentless Pursuit or whatever in my black-green deck. It's not, it's, I mean... Right. Lands are often something I want because I can get an extra card out of an escape thing. Um, My problem with Relentless Pursuit has been that too often I've failed to get two cards off of it. Yeah, that is... I feel like you need a very high creature camp to play that card. Yeah. Or to really care about the cards in the graveyard. 
Yes, I, generally my, I mean, my black green decks, my red green decks don't play Relentless Pursuit, my black green decks do because I have, you know, access to a lot more escape, but right. um, I just like, in the colors that won it, outside of black red, I think this is, like I said, great black red, uh, the other color combinations, I generally just have other better sources of card advantage. That said, I had like a white black deck that I certainly would have wanted this card in um, that did not care about. It was just kind of white-black control where I actually still would have probably played this. It was like a Heliod's Pilgrim package deck. And, the you know, I was trying to just outgrind my opponent, but all I was left up was a couple of one-twos. This would have been a good source of card advantage to really bury them. And I think I would have played it in that. But because um, I was, like, mad that I didn't take a funeral rights even just for a divination, a bad divination. Uh, and, right. but, yeah. So, uh Next card, Andrew said that he wanted to talk about uh, Timurit Calls the Dead, or specifically that he felt that other people were a little higher on it than he is. This is uh, two and a black for a saga, um, and the first two chapters of the saga are put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. Then you may exile a creature or enchantment card from your graveyard. If you do, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. And then the third chapter is you gain X life and scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. Um, there are not a lot of zombies in this set. So mostly nope. it's if your zombies are still alive, you gain two scry two. Um, so, uh, Andrew, do you want to explain where you think people are going wrong with this card? Yeah. Let me just say that. So a person who will remain nameless named Reed Duke told me he thought this card was <laughs> basically history of Banalia. <laughs> are we removing Reed's name? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> well, you, I, I, Reed reduced me as nameless, but you said he'll remain nameless. I was wondering if we're somehow unnaming him. Yeah, I guess. Um, anyway, so you think that it's worse than history of Benoit, presumably well, because you think that vigilance matters and or you like pumping your creatures. Well, all of those things. Also, it's, not it, I mean, it's, it's a much worse card than history of Benoit because it's if it's your first play on turn three, you aren't even guaranteed to. Yeah, hit. like you can whip. <laughs> that, that is, I've had this card a lot, and uh, I haven't whiffed a lot. I, I whiffed probably like my seventh time casting it, and I was like, "Well, this is stupid. This is not what's supposed to happen." And then, like on the second hit of that, the only card I hit was a Farika spawn or whatever. And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to remove that, <laughs> but I don't want to get nothing out of this thing either." Uh, I guess I get the the spawn eventually, but. Um, yeah, it's not as reliable. So this is another point in the favor you were saying about Relentless Pursuit. You need to like a high creature slash enchantment count to play with this card. I almost, I, I certainly almost always play with it, but I don't think it's like a broken rare or anything. History of Benalia, the other thing was like the, the, the last chapter was, uh, game changing sometime, right? It gave, yeah, you put a huge attack in with your extra knights. This doesn't, uh, this doesn't drain. It only gains life. Um, and it also scries after you draw. So you have to wait another full turn for that, which is, you know, can be, you know, uh, annoying when, when you're trying to like set something up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the card is good. I almost always play it, but uh, I don't, I, don't I assume think it's you're saying pick. that you don't want to take it, like you don't want necessarily first pick this or something. I assume you're always, it's, it makes your deck, right? Yeah, it, it makes my deck. But like I was saying the other day that I think that, the uncommon Timurette is a 
definitely a better card than this. I'd always pick the uncommon Timoret over it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense to me. This Where is does just, this fall compared to like the black commons for you? I think <laughs> at this point I would rather pick Final Death and Myers Grasp over it. But yeah, I think so too. That I, I haven't completely made up my mind on about so that. So strategically comparable, do you play, prefer this or Venomous Hierophant? I think I prefer this. Yeah, I definitely okay. prefer this. But th- that, that's a lot of that is that there's a lot of decent playable and, and not even good. Uh, like you can put Nyxborn Marauder in your deck, whereas like the three drops in black are pretty bad. Like if you don't want specific, like specifically Underworld Charger, there's like the Harpy and uh, I don't even know if there is another three drop. Oh, there's the Scrap Heap Mogus. Like this is just so much better than the three drops than the bad four drops are versus the other four drops that I'd just much rather have this than uh, the Venomous Hierophant. And this also does its job much better, right? If you're, you're saying strategically in, in the fact that you're self-milling to try to, you know, find escape cards. Right, I mean, they're, they're similar them. cards, right? They both fill your graveyard and give you bodies. But this fills your graveyard much more, right? Right. <clears throat> well, so. it also deducts from your graveyard. Yeah, but then it's like it, it puts seven in and takes two out. But also leaves you with, with stuff and gives you a scry and stuff. I think it's uh, pretty clearly a better card than the, the Hierophant for, the, for like specific strategies. That's when I would take this over maybe Final Reward of Myers Grass, by the way. If I already like if I needed ways to find um, or wanted ways to find escape creatures, don't have them and uh, already have a removal spell or two, you know, I'm a, I'm a de- dedicated escape deck, but don't have the the uh, the self mill. Then this card is going to be better in those decks. But outside of that, this card is just kind of a little worse than the the good commons, I think. <clears throat> All right, so um, I think that'll do it for us. You didn't t- want to talk about Underworld Breach? You, you, sure. I know that was the last we, card. We can, we can talk about Underworld Breach. All right, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Underworld Breach. This is a one in red for an enchantment. Uh, each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. At the beginning of your end step, sacrifice Underworld Breach. Uh, I believe that how aggressively you should draft this card on Magic Online is largely a function of how much you like tickets. <laughs> I don't even um, know how much it's worth anymore. It's worth enough that a lot of people would draft it. It's, you know, yeah. like a handful. All right. So the only reason I wanted to talk about this uh, before closing was you suggested it. Is there like... Yeah, well, I mean, like, so to me, I think that this card is clearly not good enough. Um, I think that there might be other limited formats where some decks would want this effect, but I think that um, basically I think it's easy enough to get other ways to spend your graveyard that I think are going to come with, you know, a lower, like, floor. Like, the, they yeah. all have a front side where you can just cast them, whereas this you need to, like, be in the late game with a lot of mana and cards that are useful to play and a graveyard to exile. Um, and I think that it's just too many hoops to get value out of cards that you can get, like... To spend a resource on this instead of spending the same resource on something else, um, yeah. where I, I just don't think that this is like the right way to use your graveyard. Uh, I can imagine, you know, some spot where you see this super late and you happen to have failed to find any other way to use your graveyard and you're planning to play a long game and maybe you play it, you know, one out of 10 times that you have it. 
Um, yeah. Okay. But we're talking about extremely rare corner cases. Like your your red black attrition deck that doesn't have escape cards. Yeah, that just didn't get there. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. I didn't. Uh, I thought this would just be this card's unplayable. And it's yeah. over. That's yeah. that's where I'm at. It, yeah, that's why I moved yeah. on rather than finishing out the list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, uh, I agree. This card's really bad, and you should almost never use it. I I think the one area where maybe. You could consider it as if you're like a blue red deck. It's usually I the definitely blue think red it's deck. best in blue red. Yeah, what did you those say? decks don't tend to use their graveyard that much. But I'll, just looking at it, I think a blue red deck. I'm probably going to play Thrill of Possibility over this. Almost yeah, that's what I was. Time. That's what I was going to say. It's like, uh, 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 oh, I agree with that. But I also think I'm going to play all of my Thrill of Possibilities in my blue red decks. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, um, if you need more, where I, I could see playing this in. Blue, red, all removal and card draw with Thassa's Oracle. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and, chron um, and chronic flooding. <laughs> well, I, I would use the one that's in this set, um, <laughs> the uncommon. Um, all right. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would just go with the general plan of not put this in my deck uh, most of the time. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's going to be some corner cases. And that's what this card is, just a corner case. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, all right, so yeah, that'll do it. Uh, those are all, all the cards that, uh, when we looked over the spoiler, we thought were um, interesting cards to talk about. A lot of the other ones, I think, are pretty obvious, whether they're good or bad. Um, so hopefully, uh, I learned a little bit in this, so hopefully you guys did too. Um, if you want to, uh, find out when we go live, follow us on Twitter at, at ProPointCast. And if you, uh, want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash ProPoints. And, uh, again, uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Um, it was fun. you're definitely, me. definitely one of the limited players I personally look up to. So, uh, go check out Andrew's stream or something. Um, if you want to learn a lot about limited and we will see you guys next week.